we, we've got a global inactivity crisis, um, very specifically around childhood obesity. And a big piece of the solution can be quality phys ed programs. But certainly this, this inactivity crisis is not, it's not unique to BC, it's not unique to Canada, like it is global. So um, that's, that's really what we're trying to tackle. It is time to do something about inactive populations. From physical literacy to policy change to youth sport, education, and business development, we are a collective of smart and experienced servant leaders ready to take a stand. Welcome to the Quality Coaching Collective Podcast. It is time for action. Hello, my name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 Canadian Beach Volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and athlete entrepreneur on a mission to positively shift the future. I will be your host as we speak with members of the collective to gain insight, challenge the status quo, and share our passion for improving health and sport culture. So clear your mind, grab a notebook, and let's dive into this episode. Welcome to the Quality Coaching Collective podcast. Today we have Glenn Young, educational change consultant, and he teaches and shows practical strategies to support change and believes the gateway to wellness is through the physical dimension. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey, Martin, how are you? So good to be with you. Thanks very much for the invite. Right on. I'm, I'm doing very well. Late day here. The, the time change is kind of tripping me out. It's 6 o'clock, but it's been dark for a few hours. So uh, we'll, we'll get on with it so I can go hit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are you calling in from today? So today, in, I live in Richmond, B.C., so just uh, south of Vancouver, British Columbia on the West Coast. Right on. I have a, a deep miss for home right now i i want to be back there I, I saw some snow dropping so i'm excited for for a little snowboard season yeah for sure winter's come <laughs> so just to immediately dive into the personal intro three words you would use to define yourself glenn to to give everyone a little bit deeper of an understanding of who who you are right off the bat that is such a great exercise to do to, to try to narrow down three words i've i've struggled with that over the last uh little while knowing that I've, I have to respond to that. Um, but here goes. Uh, passionate. Obviously, everybody in the, in the QCC is passionate, and, and I, don't, I don't think I'm any different. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a retired phys ed teacher now, and I'm still, I'm still passionate. I'm, like, I still want to keep in the game. So I, I live and breathe, um, you know, physical education and fitness and and athletics and physical literacy so I, i'm i'm passionate about what i do um i'd say that i'm an innovative person uh in that the last my my last job um i didn't have a lot of resources being the phys ed coordinator for the Surrey school district so when you don't get a, a big budget you've got to come up with creative ways to get your get your message out get things happening in the schools um, and get people believing in what you're doing. So I, I had to be innovative and, and came up with a bunch of different um, initiatives uh, to do that. 
And then the third one is more of a, a phrase rather than a word, um, leadership from behind. And so that's, that's sort of uh, something that uh, I guess initially uh, Nelson Mandela talked about, shepherding his flock of sheep. Um, and then Linda Hill talks about it as, um, as a kind of a philosophy or a leadership style. So that's, those would probably be the three things that I'd say would describe me. I love it. And, the, and you know what? The innovative one is such a cool piece. And I know that we're going to extract a ton from you today just based on you being innovative throughout your career and uh, bringing so much to the Surrey School District and beyond. So uh, let's dive into it, shall we? For sure. So how would you describe your occupation now, considering you're retired? Well, I looked at what I did for the last my last 20 years as the uh, school district uh, phys ed athletics coordinator. And really what I was involved in um, was through the lens of phys ed. I was really working on educational change, trying to change the system, trying to change teachers, um, get students to change. So I was doing that through the healthy living phys ed lens. And so I call myself an educational change and a healthy living consultant now. Right on. And throughout the years, like how would you explain how you've gotten to this point through, you know, expertise and practice and learnings? Was it through certifications? Was it through just learning on the fly? Like maybe give give a little point of reference or a few points of reference as to the education you've had within your your industry or occupation. The um, you know I went I went through university with a bachelor of education and actually phys ed and music, um, so and never with any intention to get into teaching music. Uh, my passion always lay with uh, phys ed. And so, you know, going through uh, being a teacher, a phys ed teacher, secondary teacher, uh, probably 15 years into my career, uh, I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to uh, become the phys ed coordinator for Surrey. And so um, it it's, it's a, it's really is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's a rare gig. And so I, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to do it. I'm honored to do it. Um, so wasn't any real um, certification to, to move into that coordinator position. Certainly having your master's um, helps. But uh, there, were, <laughs> there was no, Martin, there was no job manual that came with it. You just walk in and you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I'm now in charge of phys ed and athletics for this whole school district what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I sat down there and, and for a, a couple of weeks just thought about, okay, what is it that I have to do? And then, you know, started to realize that I'm in a leadership position and I'm in a position of influence and I need to get phys ed um, a priority for kids and for teachers and in the school system. So um, that's, that's kind of how I, I got through there. And then really it was just more, um, more so a lot of uh, professional development inside our school district um, for all the different curriculum coordinators that we had. So that, that was very, very vital in terms of my growth. And then um, I think the biggest thing that uh, changed for me <laughs> halfway into uh, my first year 
um, I had, uh, they had added on the technology piece. And so you have to think this is uh, 22 years ago now when technology in the schools was just starting to, to come alive. And, you know, there was this thing called the Internet that was into the schools and, um, and computers and, and labs. And, and so I was, I would, they added that to my portfolio. Um, and so it was really that, that, that portfolio that took on, um, that sort of formed where I went with, in, with my, um, leadership roles. So let's go back before we go forward. When you first were called into that job and you, you took that two week window to, to sit there and really take in the landscape and realize, you know, what you were going to do and how you were going to do it. What were you, what were you facing in or what, what was, what was the leading issue that was top of mind at that point where you thought I'm going to change this or I'm going to solve this or, or I'm going to make an impact here back then? I mean, we've always had uh, an inactivity crisis. Um, certainly, fitness has always had the um, the flashlight on it, especially with kids in terms of um, kids not being fit. And so, uh, even twenty plus years ago, the, le- the the flashlight was on that. And so, my my challenge was okay, how do how do I make fitness a non F word? And so, you know, really looking at developing strategies to really make disguise exercise. And then the other piece was also around trying to ensure that we had quality phys ed programs, especially in the elementary level. I mean, they're, you know, elementary and secondary are two completely different um, games where the elementary in BC and for the most part across Canada uh, have generalist teachers teaching phys ed. So what I didn't want was a hit and miss scenario for students, whether they had a good teacher, then they got good phys ed. If they didn't have a good teacher, well, I didn't want that to be a lottery. And so that that was a driving um, a driving factor in terms of how I went about my business. And then at the secondary level, um, we were too games dominated and and too sport oriented. And so how to move away from that and offer more of a balanced program at the high school level? Because again, we were turning so many kids off, and especially females. So those, those are kind of the, the real points that, that I, and pillars really that I had to, to create to say, okay, this is what I want to look at changing. So can you take us through a little bit how you tackled that? I'm so interested because you use the word disguise. I use the word trick uh, in my current uh, fitness business. Training people, it, it has to be a trick. You know, they, they're coming there to for a good time and, and they need to leave in a pile of sweat. And, and that whole 50, 55 minute period is essentially us disguising fitness <laughs> and uh, making sure that we package it up right so they enjoy the experience. 
but can you talk to even both of those also, just even how you shifted away from games in the secondary level, how you, you approached that a little bit and, and what changes that you, you made strategically so that you could unroll that in the district? Well, if you start at the elementary level, um, really it was, you know, I started doing what most of the other uh, coordinators were doing, which were putting on after-school workshops. And so, you know, I called it um, driver training workshops, you know, basketball. I called them the ABCs of PE series. So they were how to, you know, like I say, driver training workshops, how to, um, how to teach basketball, how to teach volleyball, so how to teach games at the elementary level. Um, and what I found was teach elementary teachers were were and still are so busy that I wasn't getting the right teacher at those workshops, after school workshops, even though I'd offer um, – you know, prizes like not motorhomes or, or color TVs or anything like that, but, you know, clipboards, like sport-related stuff, good swag for them. Um, but the ones that I got, and I kept getting repeat customers, were the converted. I, I could tell they were the converted. So I wasn't getting, and I'm, you know, I'm going to use the stereotype of, the, of that teacher in her high heels and her skirt who goes into the gym to teach their phys ed class. I wasn't getting her. And so I had to rethink my strategy um, because, yeah, it's great to get the converted because uh, they need support too, but they're, they're going to move ahead anyways. So I could support them in a different fashion. So I, I needed to figure a way to get into the school with that teacher, that reluctant teacher in front of their kids in, um, and in the gym with that teacher. So I had to create a couple different um, – initiatives uh, around that to get into the elementary schools and then at the secondary level uh, really it was just having hard conversations with the uh, phys ed department heads um, and then with their departments around okay yeah we've got a games dominated program like you know what are we doing and having them really reflect on their programs what are they doing now what did they do five years ago or even 10 years ago? And if it looks the same, that's not right. It can't, you, can't, you can't be moving forward if it still looks the same today as it did 10 years ago or 15 years ago or even two months ago. So those, those were the types of things that you know, um, I had to work on. Again, different strategies for the different levels. Right on. And moving towards the future then and, and the current day within that story where did you find success in in both of those what what change were you able to put in place to positively impact both elementary school and and secondary levels just so we can get understanding of the landscape from then till now so yeah there's a few things there Martin. Um, so first one would be um, BC, I think in around 2003, had um, adopted a daily physical activity initiative. And so, um, you know, this DPA initiative was put out by the government at the time. And it's great. Like no one, it's like motherhood and apple pie. No one could argue against it. 
the problem was is that it was the implementation of it um, and the assessment of it because they wanted it reported. And so they started to get wishy-washy in terms of, you know, uh, how it was, what would qualify as DPA. And what I didn't want was fake compliance. I wanted actual teachers doing um, doing things, the physical activity, because they found the educational benefits of it. So, you know, I I looked at there, and there were some, I'll call them interesting activities that that were offered for some of the different grade levels, which I didn't think would be grade level appropriate. For example, I can't see grade sevens doing Simon Says or grade eights doing Simon Says with the teacher in, in the class. <laughs> Just not not appropriate. So I I took the um, the angle of looking at the components of fitness and and layering that into the DPA activities. And so not not only the health related but also the skill sport related components. So um, you know, what, what were some things that we might be able to do, for example, with balance in the class? And I, and I really like to focus on balance because um, it's, it's one of those components that we don't teach. We never used to teach. Uh, we just thought, oh, you know, oh, that kid's got re- good, really, good, really good balance. Well, how do they get that? Right? You've got, we've got to train it. So I, I looked at components that could be done in the classroom, and, and I created a, um, a no room in the gym um, workshop that I would then take to schools and, and we would introduce DPA in the classroom, but it was, they were really fitness breaks. So that was one thing around the, the DPA piece that was big. And when, um, when another did, one, the age old argument, um, debate, I should say in phys ed has been around fitness testing. And so, um, I've never been happy uh, with any of the fitness tests that are out there. Uh, you know, and when I talk about fitness tests with, with kids, well, not so much kids, but the teachers for sure, um, everybody remembers the old um, uh, Canada Fitness Awards and the, and the award of excellence and badges and stuff. And so, you know, when, when I mention that, I see the faces go either shine or the faces and heads sag down. And so I go, hey, if you're if you did well, you're one of those that are, you know, you got that award of excellence. You're like thumbs up. Oh, I love it. And if you got the uh, thank you very much for coming today, a participation badge, you know, you were like, okay, well, I didn't, I, I didn't like it. So I wanted to come up with a different way to look at how we fitness test in the schools and, and why we do that. So I created, I created my own. And I called it the ABC fit. So I looked at three. I simplified it. And I looked at three components. Um, I looked at aerobic. I looked at balance. And I looked at core strength and endurance. And because I think we, you know, we can't, we don't have time to evaluate all those, compo- all 11 components. So what are the key ones that we need for functional health? And so that's what I looked at aerobic balance and core so uh, i tried to keep with the abc idea so that that's sort of the example of innovative where if it doesn't exist then i i just built it i created it because i needed it 
And, and, what, and then, what happened um, with that? What happened with that, Glenn, if you don't mind me interrupting? Um, where it was implemented for some time and, and it no longer was, or is it still to this day in the Surrey system? What, what happened? It's still there. It was actually, um, it was actually adopted by PHE Canada. They asked me to, to work on that, um, to use that as the, um, as the passport for life. And the passport for life actually was to replace the Canada Fitness Award. So uh, it got adopted nationally. And for that, can can we find that anywhere now? Is that is that implemented in any school systems? Yeah, yeah. If you if you um, if you Google ABC Fit um, test, you'll you'll actually see me doing a workshop on it on YouTube, and then uh, it's accessible through PHE Canada's website in the Passport for Life. And then certainly, um, uh, you know, Surrey schools are using it, the elementary level. And then I I was also um, teaching a graduate diploma program at uh, Douglas College with um, with practicing teachers. And uh, I was teaching the fitness course. And that was the, the fitness test that I said, this is what we want to try. And so all the teachers over the last 10 years that I've worked with have gone and used that in their school districts as well. Amazing. What a legacy. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, it is pretty simple. It's very simple. And, and it's actually, Matt's actually adopted it in the uh, 60 minute kids club as well. Perfect. I love it. And, and did you have a, a tail there for the secondary or shall we move to the next question? Um, ABC fit could also be like, it was for really grade three to grade 12 to adult. Okay. Right on. And then, and then for secondary, it was just having um, – I had set up with my department heads um, leadership days. And so these were days where we would meet four times throughout the year, um, and I would be able to unpack major issues with them. So we would talk about fitness testing. We would talk about program development. We would talk about um, – assessment and evaluation in phys ed what does it look like so we talk about all these different key things that you just can't unpack in an hour and a half meeting uh, after school type of idea and so I, I use those those leadership days to have these hard conversations with them around okay how, you know and we talked about change how do you go back to your department with these new ideas and try to get some of the deadwood to uh, to move there were challenges. There are challenges. Hey, there still are challenges as we look to make changes, and that's why I'm, I asked some fairly in-depth questions there about the past because there's so much to learn about the past. I, I think so many people look to the future and how can we innovate and how can we do all these crazy things. But there are some answers in the past that maybe we just hit, didn't have one component right, or maybe it just wasn't the right time. And it sounds like uh, you, you had a great that ABC fit sounds fantastic and. Love that it's still in existence today. Yeah, I've also introduced it to um, some teachers in the states, and uh, and they love it. They love it better than the fitness gram. <laughs> well, good for you. Now, moving to the current day, uh, I know that you have some exciting projects on the go. Uh, so I'll just ask, what are you currently working on, Glenn? Right now, uh, you know, just coming up on November 9th, we've got the digital summit. Uh, can we play a game now? So it's really focused around teaching games and and why aren't aren't teach why aren't kids successful in gameplay? 
So, you know, we're working with um, Nathan Horn and uh, Mark Berbeek on that summit. So uh, be, we're really excited to do that. So we'll be interested to see, you know, and learn a lot from the whole format itself. So that that's coming up um, on the 9th. And then I, I'm doing some consulting with my former school district around staff development, um, team building and change management. So I'm getting a chance to work with a couple secondary schools and their staffs um, around team building and, and, and change management. I'm also working on a mentor program for uh, the early childhood education space um, and developing that. And then, um, you know, I just am um, presenting at various provincial and state and national conferences coming up. So kind of retired, but kind of not. <laughs> Sounds like you're still very active. I love it. Um, well, let's visit that webinar and, and what problem or issue you're trying to solve or what theory you're trying to prove through said webinar. Now, you don't need to give anything away, but let's just build on that topic just because it's top of mind. Well, the, the challenge is, as you know, um, when, we, when, we have, when we get kids into game play, um, there's not a lot of success. The kids who have success are the ones that are already in a club, playing club or playing extra. But for the garden variety um, PE kid, school kid, they don't they don't have the skill set. So um, you know we start to unpack. Well, why why is it that we're not having success in terms of teaching games and kids being able to play games? And then so, so we're looking at, at why that's a challenge, and then we're going looking at how we can fix it and then what we need to do. So that's kind of the three pieces around it. Amazing. So what, what would success look like through that, uh, that webinar? Where, where would you guys like to, to success, see success lie? Uh, certainly um, in terms of, you know, I think a, a very simple metric would be a uh, number of registrants. But I think because this is, again, so innovative um, that we can't we can't rely on, on that metric because it's not going to be um, it's not going to it's not going to tell the whole story. Um, I think the, the level of interaction that occurs with the participants will be uh, a good gauge for us. I think. Um, Ongoing feedback from them um, will let us know whether it's it's been working or not. Because again, people can serve it up even if it's not live; they can go in and get it. And then, um, you know, we're planning on doing two more. Um, and so, you know, we're hoping that the second level of registration will be an indication that okay, that first one people you know might have seen or heard or spread the word around. And so, okay, yeah, we. We'll invest our time and, and some dollars and go and listen to these three guys. What's the demographic that you're looking to pull into this? I, I would like us to capture the, tea, the teacher market um, because I think it's the teachers right now that are reluctant to, to, to access this, this summit because they're thinking, oh, it's for coaches. And so – you know, that's probably little on our um, messaging and our marketing piece that 
we're trying to get out there to look this i mean it this would cater to coaches absolutely and and obviously caters to teachers so you know if 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 we get coaches in there that's a bonus but for us all three of us being educators i think we should just capture that market and and get them going first love it well full support and i'll send that out to all my friends who are teachers so Let's widen the lens um, based on your vast experience and, and knowledge in this sector. What issue or, or problem are we facing in the youth landscape today, Glenn? We, we've got a global inactivity crisis, um, very specifically around childhood obesity. And a big piece of the solution can be quality phys ed programs. But certainly this this inactivity crisis is not... It's not unique to BC. It's not unique to Canada. Like it is global, so um, that's that's really what we're trying to tackle. And and understanding that you've been exposed to youth through the school system for a very long time, have you seen this slowly escalate? Was this a problem twenty years ago, uh, but no one really spoke about it? Like at what point in time did you? As someone who's very well educated and has seen a lot gone, okay, we got ourselves a problem. We need to do something. Unfortunately, Martin, this problem has been there uh, since I, when I first started teaching. And that's over 35 years ago. So it was there. There's just there's more volume. There's more kids. And that's why we're noticing it. We didn't notice it as much then because we, there weren't as many numbers there, but it, it's still the same. Kids, um, you know, kids are, are still, are, are more inactive now, I think, um, especially because, you know, they're not walk like they're not walking to school. You go to your, your neighborhood elementary school or secondary school and it's a traffic mess. There are cars lined up. Parents need to drop them off right at the front door. Um, and so kids, kids aren't walking. So there, there's, there's a behavior that is um, gone, eradicated. And over the last, let's call it a decade, um, and this is a slightly different topic, but let's see how it blends in. The r- recent influence of devices and cell phones and, and screen time, you know, do you think this has something to play with the, the current situation? It's it's easy to point to mobile devices and screens and say, okay, there's the cause. In fact, it would be very it would be very easy and simplistic if we could say point a finger and go, that's the cause. But unfortunately, that isn't. Um, they're they're just devices and they're just tools. Um, you know, I, I hate to use this analogy, but, um, guns don't kill people. People kill people using the guns. So, um, the, the, the mobile devices are exactly the same. They are a tool that if used correctly can help us, but often when used incorrectly become more of a, more of a crutch. Um, or maybe not a crutch, but they they become they become antithetical to what we want. Absolutely, and I I've, I've been playing around the concept that 
we're now in a generation, the smartphone generation, where kids are born into the world and their parents have these phones and their parents are infatuated with these phones. And so the kids, before they can even speak, they're able to see that there's a relationship that their parent has with said phone. And then there's this deep desire for that because obviously their parent cares for said phone. And then all of a sudden now we're handing these kids the phones to keep them quiet, keep them entertained, but they don't have any skill set to manage the amount of information and stimulus that's coming in. And so I, I'm very fascinated to learn more about this as, as we get a little bit deeper and as I enter the space a little bit more where we can't vilify the smartphone, but we certainly can't also expect a child who doesn't have the skill set to manage a phone to come away with it without having some type of impact because they, they weren't able to stop it or they weren't able to say no or they, they weren't able to manage themselves and that, that excess of light and energy and instant gratification from it, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it totally does. Um, you know, we're dealing with the digital generation and, and, that, and that digital learner. And so I think sometimes people, certainly from my generation, don't stop to think that kids growing up now have always grown up with Wi-Fi. How many times is we move around as adults and go, what do you mean you don't have Wi-Fi here? What do you mean it's not free? Like Wi-Fi has now become a basic need along with food, shelter, <laughs> and, and clothing, right? So um, that's the generation that these kids come, are, are growing up in. And so, you know, a mobile device, that's, that's common. Like, you know, back <laughs> when I was growing up, I saw that on Star Trek. I'm, I'm totally aging myself, but that's real life now for kids. And so it, it is a different world. Um, you know, and people talk about, well, attention spans are different and not that much. I mean, kids are kids. People's attention spans are always short. So we've always got to be creative on our toes to be able to get their attention. And, and, you know, the good ones are able to do that and, and, the, and the bad ones are boring. You're a breath of fresh air because it's so easy to point fingers and to say and this is the cause of that. But I, I love hearing that these problems also did exist a while ago. And so we, at the end of the day, still need to solve the problems from a global standpoint versus point fingers at these specific issues. Right. And, and the biggest challenge really in, in our space right now is, in, you know, how can we agree what is the, what's the direction to go to try to solve the global inactivity crisis? Um, our, our real challenge is that we all want the same end goal, but our route to get there is all different. And, and sometimes we're driving on the same highway with, with each other and trying to speed and compete. And other times we're driving on a parallel highway and, and we're duplicating services. So um, until, <laughs> until we get our own crap in order in our own house, it's going to be hard to get to that final endpoint. Agreed. Well, let's move into uh, one of my favorite questions, which is 
based on your understanding and experience? Is there a myth or misconception that you frequently come across? <laughs> For sure. Um, or it, could, it, thinks, it could be a couple. It could be a couple if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do have a couple, Martin. Um, certainly at the elementary level, everybody thinks they can teach phys ed or everybody thinks they can do phys ed because it's so easy to fake. You can just roll out a ball, play a game, you know, divide the class into two teams and, and, and you keep them active. And as long as no one gets hurt, um, you know, people think, oh, they're having a great time. Great. But, you know, what are those kids learning? So phys ed is very easy to fake actually at any level. Um, even at high school, we do that a lot. You know, I always, I always used to rag on my secondary teachers by saying, look, you guys have a degree. You need to use that. Otherwise, if you're just holding a clipboard or stopwatch and a whistle, I can get, I can hire a rec programmer or a rec, um, student to go and game manage. I like, that's not what you have your degree for. So you need to use that. So, so really, you know, people think that phys ed is easy. Um, and sure, anything is easy if you don't put any effort into it and you want to do a crappy job. But if you, if you take pride in what you do, you love what you do, and, and you want the kids to learn, then it's hard work because you've got to prep. You've got to do um, all your prep stuff to, to be able to deliver the best that you can possible. Just like when you train your clients, you don't want to come in with the same canned workout that you might have for, you know, for a lady who's 35 years old and the same workout for a guy who's 43 years old. So you, you need to, we need to customize for, for our audiences and that takes time. And unfortunately the majority of teachers just don't want to put in that much time to do it. And was there another myth that was top of mind? Um, the other one is around fitness that again, uh, fitness and health and a lot of people think that they're fit and they think that they're healthy. And so, um, and that's why I like that ABC test or fitness. I don't even want to call it a test. The ABC fit assessment where, um, okay, if you can, you know, if you can go through that and you can do that all go through all three of those components, then you can say, yeah, now I know definitively um, you know, when I ask the kids the question, are you fit and how do you know, um, they don't know, you know, they, they will say, oh, I'm, a oh, I'm, I'm active. I play soccer every day or I do something every day or I eat well or I don't eat well. I eat junk food. I'm going, yeah, okay. You know, you're talking about health cause you're talking about nutrition and activity and things like that, but there are actual components to fitness. And so, you know, we start looking at breaking those down and then how you, how you measure yourself in each of those components determines your fitness. So in general in population, I'm sure you see it as well with clients is that people generally don't know what their level of fitness is. Um, and then they also don't know how hard they're working in terms of, of their level of exertion. And they, you know, the, I was at the gym this morning watching people work out and they're, and they're just going through the motions and it's like, you're wasting your time. Like I, I would love to be able to go somewhere and just for 45 minutes, just kind of like go through the breeze and do whatever. But I, we don't, 
I want I want my time to be efficient. I want I want to gain something out of that. So, you know, are are people leaving the classes better than than they were uh, before? And so, for me, those are the biggest um, the biggest myths. Agreed on both accounts. It is it is shocking to see some people's interpretation of how hard they're working or how hard they think they need to work to achieve a certain stimulus or or result. Uh, and on, on the flip side, also just a straight up understanding of where they sit on a fit health spectrum. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to have a better litmus test for that. Um, and- yeah. So, so just on that, Martin. So here's an example of you know creative or innovative. So I I created a five point exertion scale that can be used in schools, and I titled it "How Hard Are You Working?" And and I I you know the level one is light. Level two is moderate, level three is vigorous, level four is hard, and level five is difficult. And it's just based on the talk test. So, you know, and I use statements to define each of those five zones. And it's easy, it's very quick for the kids to do a self-assessment. You know, level one, it feels like a walk in the park. Level two, well, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit warmer. Good, that's moderate. Level three, I'm huffing and puffing. That's perfect, right? So give them these statements that they can identify with in terms of how hard they're working and it, it helps them. So that's that's the kind of so that's the kind of stuff that I did. Like I see a problem, okay, there's nothing out there. Okay, I need to create something so that we can get this out there and, and get the get people to understand it. Wonderful. Well, let's dive into something a little bit more personal here. Um, I got a ton of, uh, of an idea where you're at with these, but I'd love to hear you say it, just some core values that you stand for in your life. That was another hard, hard question. Um, I am not good at this kind of stuff of, of self reflection. So going through this whole, um, exercise is very, very good for me to, to do that. Um, core value for sure. Health, uh, is very important. Uh, I, I really like to think I practice what I preach. Um, I try to live an active, healthy lifestyle. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is a good thing, but uh, you, the clothes that I wore my first year teaching, I can, would still fit me now. <laughs> so I don't have that creeping obesity thing going on. Um, and then the second one would be, um, I think integrity, um, you know, and inside that, you know, is honesty and dedication, hard work. So being in, being in that district position, um, I felt that the, that I needed to, in order to gain my teacher's trust, I needed to have integrity. So, for me, you know, I define that as obviously um, being a professional, um, hard work, dedication, uh, really a no excuse kind of an attitude. You, you just do what you need to, to do to get the job done. Um, you know, sometimes I was be at work till like 930 getting ready for a workshop or something the next day because it had to be ready. So it... it Integrity was a very key thing for me. Fantastic. Well, it it shows, and uh, you certainly do exude health. I can see it through the screen here, and the <laughs> listeners can't can't see it, but 
Glenn's a, a healthy young man, so I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, can you share a tale or a moment that really captures why you love what you do, Glenn? Um, I think when I, when I first started teaching, um, and I, and I saw how kids moved and I realized that they, they struggle, they struggle with, with movement. Um, and then obviously with fitness, it just, that just caused me to change the way that I had to teach. It, it wasn't about, um, teaching a game or, or an activity. It was around making sure that, um, the kids understood why we were doing what we were doing and, and how to be successful. So I, I would, I think that really helped me understand how to more importantly regress an activity um, for kids because you certainly couldn't progress them with because of, of the, the varying levels that they had. And so I, you know, I, I then kind of take that mindset and then started doing that with teachers when I started in the district position. And it was really just the feedback that I got from teachers saying that no one's ever explained that this way before. I really understand. And, and so that just kind of reinforced that, okay, I'm, I'm on the right track. And so I, I think that's, that's sort of the stories that, that helped fuel where, where I got to. You're obviously a deep thinker, but what I'm getting from that, Glenn, is that you listen. And you listened to the kids and you, you observed and you listened to the teachers. And I, I just want to acknowledge that you obviously put a lot of time and care and attention to how you communicated to your people, which is fantastic. Yeah, certainly you're right. Um, observing. I, I really I really like to people watch uh, and, and just observe uh, how people interact, how they don't interact, uh, body language, nonverbal stuff. So, yeah, I, I love to observe. And I think as phys ed folks and, and coaches, that's, that's really one of our biggest skill sets that we have is the power of, of observation and then how to um, – how to really assess. So, you know, you see someone training and, and they're doing something incorrectly, you you know how to change that right away through just, you know, the observation of the movement pattern. And and that's that's what we do. And and that's what's so important in what we do that but not everybody does that. That's what bugs me. <laughs> well, we're making moves here. We're uh we're making waves, Glenn. Um, what culture change are you personally championing? I really think it's the um, it's the mission statement from the Quality Coaching Collective. We want active and healthy citizens. That that's really why we are getting together. That's 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 our mandate. How do we get this active, healthy population? And so, 
you know, there's, we're, we're all, you know, we're all on the same team. Um, and I think, you know, if I use a timely because the world series is just over a baseball analogy, we're, we're all very capable hitters and we all have good at bats and most of us are getting singles, you know, where, um, you know, I kind of define a single as like doing a workshop or going in and, and doing a speech or something like that. And then some of us are hitting home runs like John O'Sullivan where, you know, Wade Gilbert, they're, you know, they're in these big conferences and they're keynoting like, you know, those are home runs. And so how do we, how do we hit the grand slam? That's what that's what I want the QCC to nail is like, and how do we hit that grand slam? And, and Matt's alluded to that with with the couple organizations that he's talked about. So, you know, I think if if that to me would be the grand slam, if we nail down those couple major organizations, I love it. I, I went to a batting cage last week to to work on my swing, so I, I'm ready to, ready to rock and roll here, Glenn. <laughs> Moving into the QCC, a little bit more specific, uh, this could essentially be the the same answer, but I'm sure you'll you'll have something more to say about it. But why did you want to be a part of the QCC? It was really the only way to impact systemic change. We were all... If we don't do something that's... um, a coordinated effort. Um, we're all we're all thirty ships sailing on our own, and so we needed we needed someone to pull us together and say, okay, here's let's let's coordinate this. Let's make sure we have um, a pathway, a roadmap, um, some coordinates, and a strategy of how to get there, and, and let's make this efficient. Um, so. It, you know, when I when I I was part of the original group, and and you know when I just in that original group, I was humbled to be part of that group, and now looking at all you know how it's expanded to the other you know twenty five thirty members, I'm still like holy crap! Like I stand back and I go, do we realize what we've got, the power of this group, and and I'm just I'm just waiting for us to get unleashed. Because we're going to do some damage. Yes. Have you, in your experience, come across a group that has been willing to play together at this altitude? No. No, that did not take me long to answer. No, because people don't know how to play together. Um, collaboration is is that word that's thrown around like candy, and people have no idea what it means let alone what it looks like and so just because you get together and sit down and, and have a conversation is not collaboration you're having a conversation you're meeting you're talking about it but what have you come up with it that's new that didn't exist before you met and so for me collaboration is really what we're trying to do is is get together and create something that has not been created before through our collective efforts. Love it. 
what does the QCC mean to you? It's certainly a um, group of like-minded, passionate, dedicated people. Um, you know, I think Maddie uses the term servant leaders. Um, no egos. Like everybody just is willing to roll up the sleeve and dive in. It's like a, it's, it's a really collegial group. You need something done, you throw it out there. Someone, like, someone already, yeah, I'm in. I'm ready to do that. Just like when you asked for um, some people for the podcast. I mean, as soon as you put it out, I'm sure, boom, you were full. And it's like, oh, you're in round two now or you're in round three. So that's, you know, it's action-oriented people. Um, it's no BS people. And, and that's, that's what we want. What gets you excited about the QCC? everybody what we what we're what we are wanting to do that mission statement um the active healthy population um getting the opportunity to work with uh all the different people in the group at, you know at some point hopefully uh that's exciting that's exciting to learn from from everybody else um just all the diverse backgrounds um but we all have that common endpoint. That's 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 exciting. I agree. I, I think we're all willing to drive on the same highway. To reference the analogy that you used beforehand, um, we're we're going to need a big party bus pretty quickly here, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's bring it on. Let's go. Uh, what kind of support would you like to receive from the QCC? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I I honestly don't know the answer to that because um, this whatever support whatever I I've tossed out there has has come through. Like someone said, "Oh yeah, I can do this," or "I can help you with this," or "Here's some feedback," or whatever. So um, I don't I don't see any challenges with that right now. I think. You know, if if we if we hit the grand slam, then we're gonna have to all lean on each other, and uh, I, I don't know what that's gonna look like yet. But I'm I want I want to I want to find out. <laughs> likewise, likewise. And uh, where do you think lies the greatest possible impact for the QCC? Now, you have a unique perspective where you've been in the school district and, and a lot of people point fingers at the school and I've had a lot of conversations with people who are like I don't know if school is a place it's you know the government side of things or where is it sports so you have a really unique understanding of of the school system and the districts and how they work and how education and leadership change happens through it like where where's the greatest possible impact for the QCC There are lots of areas um, where the QCC could make an impact, but I think the biggest bang for the buck and the greatest challenge is education uh, because it is the future. Uh, you've got the captive audience, and that's why everybody wants to get into education, into the schools, because they know that's the kids. They, like, we've got all the kids. In sport, you don't get all the kids. In rec, you don't get all the kids. 
um, that education space, you have all the kids. We've got the captive audience. On the flip side of that, though, there seems to be this force field around education. And unless you have, um, you know, the right, I'll use a Star Wars analogy or whatever, the right phaser or right laser to, to crack through that, that force field, um, it's, hard to get, it's hard to get through. And education repels a lot of um, fads, things that, that don't last or don't have any substance to them. So um, without a doubt, I think we can make our biggest impact in the education space, but it's a hell of a lot of work. But, it, but boy, we, we will make a difference. We'll move the needle if we get in there. Love, when we get in there. That's that's the dialogue I like to hear. When. Um, is there anyone on the QCC uh, that you want to acknowledge? Uh, I know that you got an exciting project coming up actually this Thursday, which means this, this podcast is going to come out Wednesday night or maybe even that Thursday morning. So hopefully people will be able to, to give a get a quick little listen to this before that. But uh, maybe maybe shout out to the guys that you're going to be working with and, and in our pre-conversation, you alluded to a, a, a great concept of you guys are there to light it up. Tell, tell me a little bit more about uh, the webinar and what your intention is there. Yeah. Um, so, so first off, really, the key, I think the key person to acknowledge would be Matt in, for his vision and his leadership in getting the collective together. Um, you know, with, with the, the digital summit, uh, getting the chance to work with um, Nathan Horn, uh, who is – himself uh, a great leader in the phys ed world especially with his online presence uh, he's developed a great following with that but again he is uh, again he's in the collective for a reason because the way he thinks and the way he acts are um, are aligned he doesn't just talk the game he wa- he he plays the game and then and same with mark Verbeek. Um, you know, Mark in his previous life was uh, a similar uh, curriculum coordinator for a similar size district in in Hamilton. And again, same idea. Mark walks the talk. So, um, you know, we we feel that with the three of us, um, we've got a, a good lineup to um, to hopefully reach some people to at least get them what we want to do is we want to push some buttons and we want to and i want to get people to react and i, and I want to throw some questions out at them and and get them to think and, and kind of jar them and go oh yeah oh i never thought about that or hmm yeah okay that sounds interesting so that that's what we're trying to do we want we want to shake the uh the status quo a good old shakedown i love it well yeah three fantastic people to put that on and and i i love the concept of a digital summit and making this accessible um online and so i i won't be able to tune in live but i can't wait to recap it after uh very much looking forward to learning from all of you guys and uh glenn just in closing i want to acknowledge that you have a great joy and presence and you certainly are as uh, young as you are healthy, my friend, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's so wonderful to to see your spirit shine through, and hopefully the listeners can can hear it as well. And you truly care, which is wonderful. 
and uh, you, you care to also make a difference. So let's uh, let's move forward, my friend. Uh, Martin, I really appreciate uh, the time and the conversation with you. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Stay online. We'll have a quick little chat and uh, we'll say goodbye. But thanks again, Glenn. Thanks, Martin.